for the title. Got it. Good snap. The hold is down. It's long enough. It is good. Welcome to another edition of In Play. I'm Craig Mathic. Today's guest, one of the all-time greats in South Dakota. His success not only on the high school level, but in college and eventually in the Olympics, representing our country, five high school wrestling titles in South Dakota, three NCAA national championships, and of course the bronze medal in 2000 at the Sydney Olympics. The Philip Scotty in the Iowa Hawkeye. He's the great Lincoln McElravey. And Lincoln, welcome to In Play. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. You, you know, wrestling was such a large part of your life. You know, 1988, you're an eighth grader, your first title for Philip, and then all the way to winning Olympic bronze 12 years later. How did you avoid burnout for such a long period of time? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's really something I never had a problem with. You know, there were parts of, of wrestling that, you know, you get a little tired of maybe maybe the weight maintenance or weight cutting and some of that types of stuff. Uh-huh. But overall, I was, I was really in love with the sport and wanted to accomplish something big. And so, you know, I never really felt as if I was experiencing any burnout. I, I was mostly excited about the opportunities that were in front and, you know, the hope and, and the ability to improve and, and, you know, wrestling, it's like, it's limitless the amount of things you can learn and apply. So, I was too busy trying to learn and apply things to feel any burnout. So how did you get started? You uh, put all of the uh, success with uh, your brothers, a couple of brothers who got you started into wrestling? Yeah, I've got two older brothers and an older sister. And, um, you know, they didn't have girls wrestling back then. But my older brothers wrestled. And when I was five years old, um, I started and and you know, basically it was just kind of like you hop in the car and go to wrestling practice. I don't remember (laughs) thinking about, Uh do I want to do this or not want to do this? They just did it. Uh, It was something to do in the winter and in, uh, in South Dakota. You know, I think, you know, at that time it was maybe a couple practices a week and the whole season was just a couple months long. So things have really become a lot more structured and more intense uh, in the last 30 plus years. But, um, you know, great experience for me starting out sure. that way. Well, Philip High School, uh, you're an eighth grader, and win you win the state title at the 98 pound weight division. So, what was going through your mind at that time? Here, as an eighth grader, you've won a state title. Well, you know, I think my my dad had a great philosophy and a great approach to wrestling, and it was really just this this whole idea of one match at a time and even breaking it down further than that one point at a time and mm-hmm. you break it down into the little things and they you take care of those and the big things kind of take care of themselves and even at that age I had I had aspiring you know goals to to become a national champion and a world champion an olympic champion and and so even as big of an accomplishment as that was at the time it was really in my mind just like a stepping stone and yeah, it was really a great win and it was really exciting, but always looking forward to what was next, um, in the hopes of becoming something, you know, really great. Well, you became just the second wrestler in South Dakota history to win at least five titles, a high school career record of 200 wins and 25 losses, 
So that 200th victory was your senior year championship match going for your fifth state title. All of that put yeah. together. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess, you know, I, I never really thought about that in terms of like the number of wins or I wasn't so much um, excited about any records that are, or, you know, that I was able to achieve in terms of numbers or any like the number of takedowns or things like that. Um, it was just, you know, really, again, it was just more about what's next, what's, what's out front and, you know, how can I get better and better at this? Um, but, you know, looking back, 225 matches is like a lot of matches in high school. Of course I had six years of it. So, sure. um, you know, that helps, but that's an awful lot of matches. You devoted yourself to wrestling year round really early. So what were those off season workouts like and who coached you and who kept you level headed during that off season time? Yeah. You know, I, I did devote myself to wrestling early, probably in, I played a little bit of football in seventh and eighth grade and then really devoted myself to wrestling year round after that. And so there was, you know, the regular wrestling season. And then in the off season, um, you know, my parents were willing to take us to wrestling camps and wrestling uh, competitions all over the country. And so really it was just a matter of putting together that schedule in the off season. What camps can we go to? What tournaments can we get to? And then it's like, how do you get ready for those? You know, because there's not, you know, a whole bunch of other guys training for those events. And so, you know, travel to find workout partners and anyone locally that would, that would work out in the off season helped us out and, uh, you know, grateful for anybody that did because it was tough to find, you know, workout partners in the middle of May. People just aren't <laughs> thinking wrestling as much, you know, but you got to work on your technique. You got to work on new moves. Uh, was that important for you? during the off season. Yeah, that was a big thing for me. When I was a kid, John Smith, um, who coaches at Oklahoma state now won the world championships in 1987, won the, the Olympics in 88. And as, as I watched his career, even as I was younger, but he would spend each year and try to develop one or two new skills. And I thought that's really important um, to always be building on whatever skill you had but to develop something completely new over the course of the year, because it does take time to, to get the feel for it and then to ultimately get the confidence it takes to execute the new skill in a match situation. And so I learned that from him is just like pick a new skill that can really add to your style and, and spend even up to a year trying to really master that skill. And over the years, you end up with a pretty broad scope of, you know, effective skills that you're comfortable with using in match settings. The boot scoot technique, uh, I'm told was one of your top repertoires. What was the boot scoot technique and what it did for your success? Yeah. So that's uh, that's a duck under technique where you, you go, uh, the offensive guy goes all the way down to his inside hip and kind of lands on his butt and, and then bounces back off. That is you're pulling the guy over the top and it, it requires your opponent to really be kind of pushing in um, and to have, well, not to get too technical, but not to be posting on your shoulders, but to be sort of like laying the forearm on top of your shoulder or maybe grabbing the back of your neck that kind of opens that up. And, and it's a technique that was really effective for me um, at some key times. 
and always towards the end of matches when you know when my opponent was tired and, <laughs> yeah. and, and it was kind of a neat technique because not a lot of people were doing it were doing it at that time um and so and it looked and it looks like well it happens quick and you know kind of like what happened there so um and i learned that at a wrestling camp up in bismarck north dakota and i learned it from mark ryland who was a national champion here at iowa i think in 1991 mm-hmm. maybe do you see it uh, perform today uh, i think i think people do still use the thing and they and they probably expounded on that and i've seen people do variations of it and you know probably doing it better than i ever did it. <laughs> oh, yeah. um you know, your titles you won at uh, 98, at 112, at 125, but then that junior year you bumped it to uh, 152. And you stayed there for your junior and senior year. How how difficult was it jumping from 125 to uh, wrestling at 152 your junior year? You know, not too bad because I, I if I remember right, I, I wrestled maybe 132 and maybe 143 in some off-season, you know, freestyle tournaments. So I was kind of growing into that as uh, as I was going. And, and I would say there was kind of a point in my career, maybe after my sophomore year, which would have been that 125 year, that I consciously said, rather than spending a whole bunch of time trying to cut weight, I'm going to try to apply my time and effort to learning wrestling skills. And so, you know, I did cut less weight the last couple of years Mm -hmm. and tried to spend more time developing skills, learning techniques, um, because those would be valuable for my whole career. But cutting weight is just kind of like a short-term potential gain. You know, maybe you get some advantage from it for the weekend in front of you, but it has nothing beneficial long-term. So, I, you know, that's a that's a really great question you asked there, and and I think part of it I cut less weight going forward from there, and and tried to focus more on learning and and mastering skills. Yeah, the less you have to uh, get on the scale on Monday morning, uh, the better, right? <laughs> to, to I think so. <laughs> so many things that are valuable in wrestling, you know, strength, conditioning, flexibility, balance, skill. You know, the mental. There's all these things you could be spending time on but we, we tend to spend a lot of time just on an exercise bike trying to burn calories oh. and sweat. 1988 to 1992, you win five wrestling titles. You were kind of sandwiched, sandwiched between Kirk Wollman, who won six titles, and his brothers, Corey and Troy, who each won four titles apiece. A McElravey-Wallman match just didn't come together, but it was so close, one or two weight classes apart, a couple of years apart. Oh, would that, would that have been uh, a, a good uh, a good match? Well, it probably would have been good for, for Wallman, you know, at that <laughs> time. <laughs> those guys, were, those guys yeah. were, were super tough guys and, and highly skilled. You know, they took wrestling to a new level in South Dakota. The whole Freeman team, you know, some of my earlier years, they were they had really great wrestling there and and I think brought South Dakota wrestling to a higher level and and they were fun to watch you know they they were they were incredible athletes too was there any doubt that you were thinking of going to Iowa to wrestle in college I mean the great Dan Gable was there and he wanted you uh, there was no doubt you were going to go there right Lincoln yeah I would say for the most part I, I wanted to go to Iowa if I had that opportunity and I had some relationships. Terry and Troy Steiner that were at Iowa. They're North Dakota uh, guys. 
but I'd known them through part of high school. So we had some relationships here and it, you know, as my career progressed, it looked like I was going to get an opportunity to come here, but then kind of at the last minute was when it was right down to recruiting. Um, I had quite a bit of interest and got to go visit several colleges and meet some great coaches and see their programs. And, you know, I would say for a minute there, it was, uh, they were all pretty enticing and they all had great advantages. Uh, but ultimately, I remember going on my visit to Iowa and we went to a football game. And at halftime of the football t- uh, game, some of the guys on the team said, hey, let's let's ditch the game and let's go work out. And I, li- I liked that. You know, nobody else had done that. So <laughs> the heck with the heck with the game. Let's go work out. Right. Oh, that is that is and that's awesome. Why I, I mean, that's why you go. So your freshman year, though, you wrestled at 142, which was 10 pounds lighter than your last two years of high school. What uh, made you go to 142 as a freshman in college? Yeah, I would say a couple things were a factor there. Number one, opportunity. And number two, that the overall team at Iowa, um, it was a it was somewhere past midseason, and Coach Jim Zaleski, who was an assistant at the time, came and asked if I'd be interested in wrestling. And I'm like, coming out of redshirt to compete. And I said, well, yeah, that'd be that'd be great. But Terry Steiner was 150, and that would have been my, you know, my my uh, appropriate weight probably. And sure. And I said, well, you know, what are you gonna, you know, I don't really, there's no spot. And he, he said, he put up the numbers, 142. He said, would you wrestle 142? And I said, well, Troy Steiner, the returning national champions at 142. And, um, you know, and he said, well, Troy said he'd go down to 134. If, so he, we hmm. lived together. So wow. I thought, well, we trained together all the time. If he's going to be cutting a whole bunch of weight, I might as well do it too. And um, I'd been pretty well prepared, even though I was redshirting. Um, so I, I felt as though I was ready. and, and jumped at the opportunity and that helped the team was the whole, the whole thrust of that. Well, you won the title at 142 national champion, Jerry Abbas out of Fresno state. You beat him. What was that match like to win the title? That was a pretty wild match. It was high scoring. I think it was 16 to 15 at the end. Um, I think I only led the match once and that was in the last four seconds. Um, So, you know, it was, it was, it was a, it was kind of a wild match. A lot of points, a lot of scrambling. He was really quick. He was really good technically, and uh, I was really probably surprised at how quick and and had had great length and leverage, and hadn't really wrestled anybody like that at at that point in my career, which is kind of weird. I'd wrestled a lot of years, but he had a very different feel, and and uh, you know, so I had to rely a little bit on, you know, maybe mentality a little bit and Hmm. conditioning and and just sort of that good old South Dakota toughness that you never (laughs) quit. What was the biggest difference in the workouts in college when you compared it to working out as a Philip Scotty? Yeah, you know, um, my high school coach, Dan Mahoney, he ran tough practices. He really did. And we had a really great team. We had, you know, lots of guys placing at state. We had some state champions around my weight class. And and so, you know, you think we well, got Phillips, South Dakota, small town, and then you go to Iowa, the, you know, basically the premier program in the in the world, and it, you'd think it would be dramatic, and it, and it was, but I mean, Philip was really good. We had great 
we had great practices. People took it seriously. People worked hard. Um, and so, you know, like from the flavor of it, it was about the, it was very similar. Um, but I mean, you get to Iowa and you're roughly national champions instead of maybe just state champions. And we've got Olympic guys that are working out in the room. So you've got world and Olympic champions and Dan Gable's um, watching you <laughs> and you've got Dan Gable watching you. And somebody gave me some advice when I got to Iowa, they said, if you watch coach Gable, there's three mats in the workout room. He spends 90% of his time on the center mat, just probably unconsciously just that's where he stands and what's where he mostly coaches. So they said, if you want his attention, hop on that center mat. So I spent my whole career front and center. I just took a spot right in the center mat. And, uh, but, but, you know, not unlike uh, Coach Mahoney in terms of um, intensity and, and work ethic and demanding the most from an effort perspective. You know, we had that in Philip, and I think had great results with that. So you've won five state high school championships. You go to Iowa. You win national championship as a freshman sophomore year you're back in the championship you move up to 150 and you win the title over brian harper of michigan had you faced each other at all during the regular season we had wrestled i think uh, when i was a freshman he and i had wrestled um uh, that's you know that's been 27 years ago or something that's a long time ago now but uh, we had wrestled before and he was a tough competitor um he was a tough competitor, and it was interesting because the the weight class that year, I shouldn't even admit this, but my side of the bracket was relatively easy compared to the other side of the bracket. And so he came through a really tough bracket to get to the finals, and, and he's not the guy that I would have picked in, you know, before the tournament to have made the finals, but he had really a great tournament. And, uh, and was a tough competitor, no doubt about it. So you're a two-time national champion, and now as a junior, you stay at 150, but you lose in the finals to a guy that I think you faced as a freshman. Uh, you, you'd faced uh, Steve Marionette a few times during your career. Yeah, we you know we did end up wrestling four times uh, over our careers. Um and that, you know, that match obviously was, was a really big match. Um, can't remember the score, but I think it was 13 to 10, maybe something like that. So a fairly high scoring match, which tends, you know, typically I like those higher scoring matches, but he was, he was mentally ready and he, he held great position, especially in that match it was hard to score on at the right times. And, and, uh, you know, he did, he did a great job. He really did. Um, score was 13, 10, by the way. Yeah. 13, 10. So, you know, obviously an exceedingly disappointing moment in my career at that point. What happened in 1996? 96, I, I had not redshirted yet. And so I actually took a semester off from school, second semester, and put all my efforts into trying to make the Olympic team in 1996. Uh, so I spent the year training freestyle, and I was overseas a number of times at, at uh, various international events trying to get prepared to, to try to make the Olympic team in 96. Was it a good decision for you now that you think about it? I think it was a good decision. Um, it was a good decision in 1996. It wasn't a good decision in 1997. And the only reason I would say that is because 
1997, I mean, it had been, I had been wrestling in college for what felt like a million years. <laughs> and, um, and, and I wanted to just move on to freestyle and move on to my international career. And obviously it was still important to me to be, uh, to do the best I could in college. Um, but my heart was really in the international style at that point. So coming back from 96, which I had a great, I had a great year in 96. I didn't, I did not make that team, but I really developed and got a lot better. And then in 97, I sort of felt like I was, you know, had, had slowed down my progress to wrestle college style because it's just like, this yeah. is the last time I'll wrestle folk style. Um, sort of lost the desire to, to develop my folk style skills. And my heart was, like I said, was really in the Olympic style at that point. Well, you made it to the championship in the uh, nationals that year, your senior year. It's you and the defending champ at 150. And of course it was Chris Bono who went on to uh, coach up at SDSU and what an exciting match. It went uh, overtime. Tell me about that match with Bono. Yeah, it, it did. And, you know, I, I had been hurt quite a bit of my senior year and, and hadn't been able to train the way that I would have liked to have trained. And I would say that match was representative that of that from a conditioning perspective. Like I was so tired and that, that was the most tired I've ever been in my life probably. Um, and, you know, in wrestling, you know, you always get tired and, and that's okay. I always like to get tired because I figured I was better prepared than the other guy. And if I was tired, he was probably really, really tired. <laughs> but that was a match where I was really, really tired. And I don't think he was as tired as I was. So I was, that was a tough, that was a tough day for sure. But you got three national championships and college is all done. And then you decided to take the next step and try the Olympics again. But it was going to be a couple of years before that happened. Was was there any thought of maybe, you know what, maybe I'm going to hang this up? Or did you go at it full bore to, to get to get to Sydney in 2000? Yeah, I had I had in my mind, you know, pretty well determined to push hard through the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. Um, hadn't thought about, you know, my competitive career after that. It was really just let's focus on on you know each year is a world champion there's a world cup there's a world championships every uh four years opposite of the olympics there's pan-american games back then there was goodwill games so there were a handful of really important events in my career that i was really focused on and it was like you know i would never dream of hanging up my boots before i got to those events mm. uh you know barring injury or some unforeseen factor but right. Uh, so I was pretty focused on that and really spent a uh, full time. I I had spent most of my life previous to that. But at that point, I was out of college, no more folk style. I could, you know, completely focus on freestyle and its development and travel overseas as needed. And oh, a lot of you know, travel. It was really a great time. A lot of travel. The first world championships, you went to Tehran. Iran, you wrestled in Ankara, Turkey. You traveled, uh, I think, even to Canada with the Pan Am Games. Here's 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 a kid from Phillips, South Dakota, traveling all over the world. Uh, how great was that for you? Yeah, I mean, it was really great, and I was very very fortunate. Even when I was 13 years old, I went overseas for the first time in my in my wrestling career. I went to uh, Budapest, Hungary, for the Cadet World Championships, and then the 
next year got to go to Cali, Columbia. So I had several opportunities even before I got, you know, to college. Um, but, but I, you know, of course, got opportunities to go all over the world. Freestyle wrestling, you don't necessarily go to the nicest places in the world. It's not like you go to Switzerland and, <laughs> right. and uh, you know, Hawaii and these beautiful places. But uh-huh. you go where wrestling is really tough and really great, like Siberia. I've been to Siberia three times, and wrestling's really good there. Um, you know, so those were great experiences. But you had to qualify yet for the Olympics. What was that like? Yeah, at that time, um, really just two events qualified you for the Olympics, the the U.S. Nationals, and then the final Olympic team trials. And if you would, at that point, if you win the U.S. Nationals, the U.S. Open, they called it, if you won that, then you got to sit on top and wait for everyone to come through the tournament at the final Olympic trials. So I won the U.S. Open and then just had to wrestle two matches to make the Olympic team you know, at that final Olympic uh, trials process. Did you feel a lot of um, pressure with that? I really didn't. Um, I've had a few times in my career where I've felt a lot of pressure. And those times I've performed really poorly. So I, you know, I've spent, I had spent a lot of time working on the mental uh, approach to wrestling. And, you know, really, if you're not spending your time working on how am I going to respond when it's most important? Mm. That's really all that matters. Um, and so I spent a ton of time, you know, visualizing and, and working through the mentality and, and the approach and how to deal with influences, eliminate distractions, um, you know, minimize stress and all those things at the most important times. And there's techniques for that. And there's, you know, there's a million things you can do. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'd gotten, decent at that stuff so you know I really looked at it as just a great opportunity and the freedom to go out there and perform um, all these years I've been trying to develop to become good enough to get there and here's my chance all those things you just mentioned I assume that's what you're doing as you make the team and while you're flying over the Pacific to go to Australia and the Sydney Olympics oh yeah what was going through your mind were you constantly thinking about matches and how you were going to perform or who you might be facing later on? You know, I, at that point, of course, like at the Olympics for wrestling, there's 20 athletes in each weight. You know, each country can only take one person. It's your number one person. And and you actually had to qualify your, your, your country for the Olympics. So there's only 20 guys in the weight class at the Olympics. And, and you know, really kind of hard to believe, but there's probably – two or three of them that are like, you know, these are the guys you're probably going to wrestle if you can, if you progress through the bracket. Uh-huh. And so, and I'd wrestled all those guys multiple times and um, was very familiar with those guys. But, you know, my wife, Lisa, and our two older kids at the time were three and one and a half. So we traveled over together and, nice. um, you know, and it was neat to be in Australia, to be in Sydney, the Olympic city at the time. And, uh, we were there about a month early for training, so oh. it was really pretty relaxed. You know, focus on training, focus on peaking and feeling good, and and staying healthy, and and basically the same things you do for all the other, you know, major events. So in pool play, you beat uh, wrestlers from Turkey and Nigeria, and advanced to the knockout round. How long did you have to wait before the knockout round began? 
So I think it, you know, I should know that, but you know, that's been Couple 23 years ago now. So I <laughs> I'm not sure, but it, it was, uh, it was a two day event. And so maybe two matches the first day and, and, uh, not getting around the, the next day. day. Sure. Yeah. Something like that. Well, you beat, uh, a guy from Moldova, um, in the quarterfinals of the knockout round. What was that match like for you? You know, I should, again, I should remember that. I've never really watched any of those matches. And you really? know, throughout my, most of my career, I would watch my matches to try to learn what I could learn. And, and I really never watched any of those Olympic matches because, in a sense, what's the point? I was done. Um, <laughs> so I really don't recall exactly but what. But you won what, and went on to the semifinals. <laughs> okay. And, of course, thanks. and that was, uh, yeah, and that, and that was the tough one. That was the tough match. Uh, the guy from Canada, um, and he wins the match in sudden death. Um, what what happened in that match? Yeah, so I, you know, actually, I was ahead by a point with a, you know, not a lot of time, maybe twenty seconds or something left, and he he scored a takedown. So then it was tied three to three, and then you know, sudden victory over time. The next point wins. And, uh, and, you know, obviously he was able to score and win there. He and I have wrestled six times over our careers, and we each won three matches. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's one I wish I would exchange for another one that, you know, he could have won some other match. That would have been a nice one to win. But, you know, he was very tough. He was a world champion. He was an Olympic champion that year. And, um, and he you know, that, that was his day that day. You moved on, though, to the bronze medal match. Um, was your preparation any different, knowing that gold was out of your reach and bronze was going to be what you wanted to get? Yeah, that you know, that was a, a really tough match from, you know, in my career I'd never been in that position. Not to say I'd never wrestled for third before because I had, but that was basically my last match. And the culmination of my career, everything I had trained for, every you know, every workout, everything I'd done for 20 some years was now not available. And so it was really hard to get motivated to go out and wrestle for third. Um, But it was a good lesson for me in a sense, because, you know, sometimes we don't get to pick our situation, but we do get to pick the amount of effort and, and, and try that we put into stuff. So, and that's really what my dad just said, you know, he said, you have to go out and give it your best. And a bronze today doesn't feel good at all, but over time it'll feel better than fourth for sure. Beautiful. And, uh, you know, and, and that was, that was true. That's a true statement. Really hard to put that in perspective though. At the time, um, you hate to call it a failure to go win an Olympic medal, but it's like the greatest failure in my wrestling career <laughs> you sure. was to get third. And defeated uh, defeated uh, Sergei Demchenko of uh, Belarus. You won that match three to one. Those last seconds of the match had to. Were there any crying? Was was there any was there any tears after knowing that that was the last time that you would wrestle? Yeah, and, and really, it wasn't because I was done with wrestling. Although, you know, that would have been sad. But I, I was just really just kind of focused on the whole idea of that. You know, at that time, I just felt like I blew it. Um, and I really didn't have the sort of the passion or whatever you'd want to call it or the desire to continue wrestling. I mean, at, at, at that time, 
you could make a living in wrestling if you're the best guy in your weight class, but it wasn't that great. I mean, now these guys, and I'm happy for them, but they're make, some of these guys are making a lot of money. That's there's there's reason to stay in it, you know, which is great. Sure. At that point, it's like now we have a family, and and I'm you know 26, which is sort of the tail end of most careers at that point anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, it was just time to move on. People also remember in the uh, 2000 Olympics, uh, people might remember uh, Rulon Gardner of the U.S. He got gold beating uh, the Russian Alexander Carolyn, who had, Carolyn hadn't lost a match like in 13 years. So that, yeah. that was a pretty electric news uh, during the Olympics, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, a, that was monumental. Um, you know, people will never forget that. Uh, and, and Greco-Roman was before freestyle in the tournament. So I think we had just like we had just finished working out at the Olympic Village and walking back to the rooms. And somebody said, Rulon Gardner just won the gold and beat Alexander Corell. And it was like we thought, you know, that that was just unheard of. So it's right after the Olympics. Uh, it's 2000, the year 2000. Where were you living at the time and what was going to be the next move by Lincoln McElravey? We were living in Iowa City and and training mostly here in Colorado Springs, um, and um, you know I my whole life I figured go win Olympic gold medal and then coach wrestling at a high level college wrestling somewhere and and uh, so and at that time I was one of the assistants at Iowa here, but I you know had basically been focusing on on my own competition and performance so you know at at that point I was ready to transition into coaching and and uh look for eventually a full-time division one head wrestling job so another question that I asked before what was it like after retiring from wrestling that very first day you didn't have to step on a scale to check your weight Well, you know, I still have nightmares that I'm like four pounds over with 10 minutes to before weigh-ins and, you know, like if you're not going to make it kind of thing. Um, so, well, you know, it, it felt, part of it felt good, you know, to not have to go through the same things, but it had been my life for so long. So, you know, it felt, it felt strange. And as a wrestling coach, I was still very active and still wrestling with the guys and things a lot at, at that point. Um, certainly felt good to not have to cut a lot of weight and I wasn't cutting a lot of weight no. at that point uh really but uh, you know it was bittersweet because I really wanted to accomplish something um that I didn't do and um and so you know had I won I think it would have been a it would have been a, a great feeling to not have to work out or not have to manage weight and that kind of things but um as it was it was you know it's so fresh in my mind it wasn't like this this uh, celebratory retirement it was more like dang that that's over and i can't believe i messed messed it up you know at the time sure so do you have the bronze medal hanging up in the house somewhere no well it is in the house it's not hanging up it's um it's i think it's in our safe somewhere it's it's safe (laughs) sure um you have four kids did any follow dad on the wrestling mat yeah, four kids, three boys, one girl, and really they've all done the things they chose to do. None of them wrestled. Um, they've been in basketball and golf and, you know, music and jazz and theater and all kinds of, you know, stuff that they're passionate about and talented at. 
Um, and I think that's great because I didn't know anything about any of those sports or any of those <laughs> uh-huh. activities. So we, we could just go and watch and enjoy it. Well, now you and your wife, Lisa, you, uh, you formed a company and you were building hotels, a lot of them in Iowa and Nebraska. How did, how did that come to be? Well, you know, when I, we decided to be done with wrestling in 2003, um, just really decided to start a business, work on business, work, you know, I'd be more available for family. Division one college wrestling coaching is, you know, very, you know, they asked, I think somebody asked Tom Brands, you know, how many hours a week he puts in. And he said, you don't count the hours. It's, it's your life. That's all you do. And it is. And I really wasn't willing to do that. So um, we started a business in 2004. Um, with one hotel here in Iowa city area. And, you know, and you kind of realize that anything you want to do well takes a lot of time, whether it's coaching wrestling or being involved in a business or whatever. So, uh, you know, it takes a lot of time to do business well, um, as does really anything you want to do well. I like the name of your company. Tell us all about it. Um, the serve 2028. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we we changed the name of the company. I think in 2017, it had a had a different name before that. But we we went we just we went through a little bit of a rebranding and a name change, and we really wanted it to be about you know we went to Matthew chapter 28 and uh, or chapter 20 verse 28, and, and it's where Jesus came not to be served but to serve, and so we said we can take that real simple truth. And, you know, let's name the company that, Serve 2028, and that's what it's about, serving others, serve your guests, serve your your, uh, community, serve your your team, um, and and serve the nonprofits and the things that, that we can make a difference in. Let's be servant leaders. And so we did that. We, and, and, you know, our, our people really embraced that. And, um, it's been, you know, not just the name change, but overall the whole direction of, of the company. It's, it's been a really neat thing to see and had great, great buy-in and people have gotten on board with that. That's awesome. So how many uh, hotels, motels are you, have you been involved with over the years? We, so it, we've, well, good question. We've had, um, up to five at one time, have three today, um, have sold a couple and we had a couple under development before COVID hit and we backed off of those. And so we've just kind of, you know, the market's a little different. The industry's a little bit different than it was before. And, um, so we're just sort of regrouping. I would say the, you know, the economic climate's not that favorable for hotel development right now with, you know, just with demand being off a little bit. Supply was up quite a bit before 2019, and now interest rates were pretty high. And, that, you know, so the whole thing is a little bit um, less favorable than it was at one time. So we're just kind of sitting on the sidelines and just trying to do the best we can with what we have. It's a little bit like wrestling for third place somewhere. <laughs> like you really don't want to be there, but you're there. <laughs> Give it your best. You're in the National High School Hall of Fame, the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, the South Dakota Sports Hall of Fame, the Iowa Wrestling Hall of Fame. 
you always had a goal in wrestling. What is your goal today? Yeah, you know, wrestling goals are easy because it's a date. It's like you can go up to the calendar and scratch on a calendar. This is the state tournament or this is the Big Ten tournament. And you have a specific goal for a specific date. And I think I think with life and with business, you, you you don't have these you don't have these big preparations for a single event that just doesn't exist. Um, life's just is so much more fluid than that. It's it's not these carved in stone dates that you get ready for. You have it, you perform, you win or you don't. You learn from it, you move on, get ready for the next one. I mean, in a sense, you always are doing that, but um, we don't have as definitive of goals in business as we did. Um, you know, obviously in wrestling, it was very, very specific. Sure. I mean, you know, you could write them down and <laughs> check them off if you did it or not. And in business, you know, we just, we have more, more broad goals. We, I would say we have, we focus more on values and beliefs now than accomplishments. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Last one for you, Lincoln. What do you remember the most of all those times on the wrestling mat, whether it was practice back in uh, Philip with the, the mats that are a lot different today than they were when you were wrestling. Uh, they're a little softer today. I think uh, when, when you, before you, uh, before you got out of wrestling, but all that time on the mat, whether it was practice or matches, you know, you sit back and think about your career. What do you think about what first comes to mind? Yeah, what I would say, and this is a strong encouragement to coaches out there and parents. Um, throughout my career, I remember a small handful of things that were said to me by people who were important to me at at times in my life when it when it meant a lot. Now that all that is to say that when I was very young, maybe five or six, I asked my dad, "How far can you go in wrestling?" And he said you could be an Olympic champion. And I said, well, that's what I want to be. And that, that night when I went to bed, he said, good night champ. This is, you know, like, this is something you can do. I believe, I believed that. I don't know why I believed that. I had no idea what it entailed at that point. Um, When I was in eighth grade, we, the very first couple weeks of the wrestling season, you know, I had, when I was in seventh grade, I was 21 wins and 20 losses. So I was pretty average, right? And as as uh, an eighth grader, I remember wanting to do a lot better. I had committed over the summer, but our coach, Dan Mahoney, in the conditioning session, he looked at me and he said, if you keep that up, you're going to win a state championship. And he probably meant four years later. I don't know what he meant. He didn't say, but I believed him and it meant a lot to me. And, uh, and when I got to Iowa, Coach Gable, after one of the practices, he looked at me and he said, you, you could win four, which, of course, I didn't, as it turns out, but I was close. You know, so I think the encouragement is to coaches, the things you say to, your, to the athletes, I mean, they'll remember it for life a lot of times, good or bad. So, you know, make it good. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Programs such as this are only possible through the continued support of our listeners like you. For South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Craig Maddock. Join us again on the next episode of In Play.